You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. gave us a massive boost by reminding us that prior to believing in Jesus, we were dead. We were lost in our sin and completely without hope. And then he put the little cherry on, the cake, on top by reminding us that we're actually, if that was us, which we all were, and some of us might still be, we're actually following after Satan. Heavy, heavy stuff. So we did. We sat with the reality of that. And then celebrated the truly good news that Paul introed with two beautiful words, but God. Don't you love those two words? They are beautiful, beautiful words, but God. We're reminded that God, because of his great love for us, he intervened and he took us from a place of death and to a place of life. He took us to a place of life through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful but God that we celebrated together last week. And that blessing, that free gift of grace, as Paul writes in verse 10, is something that many of us enjoy right now as followers of Jesus. And that blessing is, here's the good news for anyone maybe seeking today, this blessing is something that you can take hold of anytime any time at all, when you are willing to approach God, come to God humbly and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And here in Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22, Paul continues on this theme of contrasting the old with the new by exploring where we once were as Gentiles or non-Jewish people, and where we are or can all be now because of Jesus. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 together now. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, as with all of the Apostle Paul's writings, there is so much in there. There are so many amazing truths that we could dig into and literally reflect on over many, many weeks. But today I want to just share a a few key truths and draw our attention to them this morning. So let's let's jump right in with the first. It's this. We, non-Jewish people, were separated from Christ and were without hope in the world. As we saw last week with what Paul does in those early verses of chapter 2, he makes the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, kind of sing, in a sense, even louder and more beautifully by reminding the early Christians of how they were previously dead. Paul says that without Jesus, they were dead in their sins. And now, in verses 11 to 13, Paul makes the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, sing even louder and more beautifully again, this time by reminding the believers in Ephesus how once they were not only separated from Christ, but they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and were completely without hope. Here's what Paul says, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Don't get put off by talk of circumcision. You don't need to be put off by that. Let me explain what Paul is actually getting at with what he says here. You know, in this time, as is still the custom today, as is still the custom today, male believers in Yahweh, the God of Israel, they were circumcised in accordance with the Old Testament covenant. You can read about that covenant that God made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. And this practice was not, uh, not seen as like, you know, some people would see it today as like a, a cruel thing to do f- to a child. It was something that God instigated in order to show that the Israelites were his, they, that they belonged to him, a visible sign that they were set apart as his children, children of God, children of Abraham, and therefore children of God. And anyone who was not circumcised, Gentiles or the uncircumcision, as Paul writes here, were very much looked down upon by Jewish people and were completely without hope because they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the promises of God that he had made for his chosen people, for the Israelite nation, and they did not have relationship with God. And this term, the uncircumcision, was actually a term of derision. You know, 
um, it was it was a term that was used to kind of look down upon and sort of say, oh, those people out there, they're, they're far lesser than us. They were looked down upon um, for anyone who wasn't Jewish. And if you are a bit of an Old Testament scholar, you might have remembered back to when David was asking after the, the men in, who were camped around when, when the Philistines were waging war against the nation of Israel, when David actually referred to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine in 1 Samuel, which you can see there on your screen, for example. So that's why Paul intentionally uses this language, just like we would use certain language or illustrations or stories in our day today to successfully communicate something, Paul is using language that is very much applicable to people back in the early church that they would be familiar with, they would know, they would understand, and that is why Paul uses the language of his day to communicate effectively then. So Paul essentially reminds the, the members of the early church made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers of how it was before Jesus entered the scene, before Jesus came and made a way. They were without Christ. They were unsaved. They were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They were without God and therefore were completely without hope. Not only were they dead in their sins, as Paul said in the start of chapter 2, but they were also completely without hope. That's pretty full-on heavy, heavy stuff, isn't it? it? It really is. But that's how it was. God's, God's painting a picture through inspiring what Paul's written in this letter. It's just, just painting it truth. This is how it is. This is how it is without Christ, without faith in God and without Christ. And... Sadly, that is the reality for any of us if we do not yet have faith in Jesus Christ today too. If that's where we're sitting right now on our spiritual journey of maybe seeking out different truths or maybe thinking Jesus is a pretty good guy, someone who did some good things, maybe a good prophet or something like that, but he's not really God, like this is what God says. It's not me. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. This is what God says. He says, if that's where we're sitting right now, we're dead in our sins and we're completely without hope too. Let's move on now to the really good news. And Paul moves on to the good news, just like he did in those previous verses, with another sentence that starts with two wonderful words. But now. But now. Paul says to us, this is how you were back then, and this is how you are now, but now. Let's read where Gentile believers and, and any of us who trust in Jesus are now or can be now because of Jesus. Here's what Paul says, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How incredible is this? If you actually stop and reflect on that passage, how incredible is the grace of our awesome God? We were non-Jewish people. We were separated from God and were without hope in the world, but Jesus reconciled us with God, making us one in Christ. You know, when Jesus died his substitutionary death on the cross, Paul's reminding us here that Jesus did away with two major divisions. The first being Jesus' death ended the very thing that separated mankind from intimate relationship with God. What's that? Division caused by our sin, mankind's sin. Through his death, through his burial, and through his triumphant resurrection, becoming victorious over death and sin, Jesus paid the price that we could never pay. Jesus paid the price for our sin as this perfect sacrifice, the blameless lamb, the only perfect human who's ever graced this earth, in order to, as Paul puts it in verse 16, to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And here's the thing. As Paul says in this verse we've just read, Jesus dealt with the division that existed because of the sins of mankind, yes, and the division that existed between people, between Jews, those who were of the original chosen family of God, and Gentiles. As Paul writes in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both Jews and Gentiles one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, Jews, Gentiles, so making peace, and might rec- reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. For through him we both, Jews, Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. How incredible is that? What an incredible work Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. You know, that that term, those who have been brought near, brought near in verse 18 really simply means that through Jesus' sacrifice, we now have access to God. We have access to God. Where there stood a wall, as the Hillsong goes, as Hillsong's song goes, now is made a way. Jesus made a way. For where there was a wall, there's now a way through his cross. No longer is there division, but there's access to God. We have been brought near and have access or can have access to God. We can come close. We can experience intimate relationship with our Father, just as he'd always intended for us to experience all the way since the very start of the world, back quite literally to what was enjoyed by Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. 
That's the great news that Paul is bringing home to really encourage the church of his day and to encourage all of us who are reading and following along with his incredible letter today as well. As Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 16, when he describes himself as the good shepherd and shares his heart for reconciling all people into his fold, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is what Jesus has achieved through his victorious um, death on the cross. Jesus, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, he is our peace, and he has made us both. Jews and Gentiles, one, breaking the divisions, breaking the hostility that existed between the two groups simply through his powerful death on the cross. And he's reconciled us both to God. Jews and Gentiles are no longer separated from one another, are no longer separated from God on the basis of sin, but they are reconciled together and reconciled with God bringing us together as one body, one body who have access to the one spirit in, uh, and the Father. Now, look, there's so much more that we could unpack from this passage today. I'm, I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is highlight why Paul decides to, why he chooses to remind his audience that when Jesus died, he broke this dividing wall of hostility and abolish the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why did he choose to do this? Well, in the Mosaic law, there were many, many commandments in place that ensured basically that the Israelites, the the nation of Israel, would remain separated, set apart from other nations. And in a very real sense, this Mosaic law, uh, many, many Rituals, many, many practices that God instituted, many of these things literally served as a wall to keep the Israelite nation safe, to help them to stay on track, to not turn aside to worship after other idols or anything like that, and to live the kind of lives that actually pleased and honoured Yahweh, their God. And it was a wall that you know, it's a kind of wall that probably Donald Trump would have liked if he, um, in his way of thinking. But, you know, it was, it was a wall that kept others out. It was a wall that was designed to keep others out. It kept Gentiles, unclean, sinful, far away from God, non-Jewish people, well away. That is kind of how it worked. And you're probably by now seeing why this is so significant. And I think this note from my... My study Bible, it just really explains it well. So I want to read that to, to emphasize why, uh, to explain why Paul emphasized this point. Here's what it says It says, The law was a dividing wall, verse 14, which Christ abolished or rendered powerless both by fulfilling it and by removing the believers from the law's condemnation. Hallelujah. The result is a new man denoting a new human race under the second Adam, Christ, in whose image the Christian is recreated. Wow. Are you you getting all this today? 
Are you getting this? Do you see how incredible the work that Jesus fulfilled on the cross actually was and is to this day? When Jesus died, he rendered the power of the law, he he rendered it powerless by fulfilling it, by being that perfect sacrifice, by being the only perfect one who could completely fulfill the law in all its intricacies. When Jesus died, he saved us from receiving the rightful justice and condemnation that our behavior deserves according to the law. That's what, you know, for for a righteous and a holy God, sin is so offensive and anyone who is tainted by sin cannot come close and sin deserves punishment according to the law. Jesus saved us from that. When Jesus died, he created a new human race under the second Adam, under Jesus Christ himself. Isn't this just incredible? What an awesome God our God is. It's something that we could celebrate and marvel at and ruminate on, reflect on for days and days and days. Our God is an awesome God. What a mighty work Jesus did for all the world on the cross. All right, let's just take a breath and recap just for a moment. So the first thing is we, non-Jewish people, were separated from Christ and were without hope in the world, but God. But Jesus reconciled us with God, making us one in Christ. That's, That's incredible in and of itself, but the good news keeps on going. God's not finished yet. Here's the final point I want to draw out. Because he has, we are all equal and highly valued members of his church, of his family. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he has reconciled all people together, Jews and Gentiles. And he hasn't just reconciled us together as, you know, just some random people who don't really have um, you know, much authority or place in his, in his world, in his kingdom. He has reconciled us together as genuine, valued, precious members of his family. Because of Jesus, membership is, in his family is no longer limited to those who qualify through biological means through biology. Because of Jesus, a place in his family can be, can be sought out and enjoyed by anyone from any nation and people group simply by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? Let's read how Paul expresses this in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but... You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Because of Jesus, we are, or we can become, we can become citizens with the saints, members of God's household, or members of the household of God. We can live as God's church, built 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as that key cornerstone, the very cornerstone of the church. Now, again, as with much of Paul's writings, we can, we can kind of glean some incredible truths at this level, but if we only stayed at the surface, we'd be missing out on the layers of meaning in what Paul's actually saying here. So let's dig a little deeper together. In Paul's day, the term stranger and alien were actually political terms. They were used to describe certain people who lived and interacted within the society of the day. Strangers were those who were foreigners, who had no rights or privileges in society. If you want to see an example from elsewhere in Scripture, you could check out Acts chapter 16, verse 20 to 23. And so that was, they, they were strangers. And aliens, aliens were, were non-citizens who dwelled in the city and were given customary privileges, in a sense, as neighbours. Some, some rights, but not full rights in society. That's the thing. Neither of these groups had full citizenship rights. So when Paul declares that through Jesus, because of Jesus, Gentiles are no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's saying that we have been given a genuine place. We have been given a genuine place in the household of God. We're not the slave who, who's cleaning up the floors and doing all that sort of thing, all the, all the tasks that no one would want to do. We have not been given a partial, lower rung kind of level of authority in God's house, but we have been given a place in God, the household of God where we enjoy the full benefits of full citizenship, full protection, full rights in God's household. Do you get that? Isn't that incredible? And here's the remarkable thing for all of us who trust in Jesus. We together with all our sisters and our brothers in the faith all over the globe, all of those who love and follow Jesus, we are corporately members of his church and we are all part of God's holy temple, his dwelling place. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. In, he, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why is this significant? Well, for many reasons, but one key reason, which would have been relatively new to probably many of the early church believers at that particular time in Ephesus was the fact that they no longer did they need to go and travel to a certain geographical location to worship God, but they could actually worship and connect with and enjoy God wherever it was that they were through Holy Spirit. In John 4, Jesus has a chat with the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well, you might be familiar with this story, particularly the, maybe the conversations that they shared around her kind of reputation and, and how she was viewed in society and the many husbands that she had had over the year, years. 
But you might be aware that the conversation that Jesus and the woman at the well actually had also hit or touched on another topic. It actually talked about what the worship of God will soon look like. Remember, this is before Jesus has actually outed himself as the Messiah. It's, it's before he's even started really the road toward the cross, so to speak. So this is early on in the context. The Samaritan woman is speaking to Jesus. She's kind of discerned very quickly. Uh, this guy is not an ordinary man. There's something about this guy. I don't know. Maybe he's a prophet. That's what she says. And she actually starts lamenting to Jesus. She, she kind of has a cry of her heart. She's kind of groaning and, and like lamenting the fact that for her people who want to kind of worship God in their own community, that they feel torn because the Jews tell them, hey, you've got to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. So even there, there's like this practical example of, of the conflict, of the division that existed between Jews and Gentiles in her day. And Jesus, before he reveals himself to be the Messiah to this woman, he makes some profound statements about worship and people's ability to connect with God. So let's read John chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth." And this hour that Jesus was referring to then isn't still to come. That hour has well and truly come. This hour came the moment, I guess, Jesus breathed his last on the cross. The moment that he had conquered the power of sin and death and paid the price for our sin that separated us from God. And Paul's reminding the church in Ephesus of this wonderful, wonderful truth. No longer do people need to head to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. We all can, we all can, because of Jesus' work on the cross, worship God individually and collectively as his church in the new temple, as his new united family of believers. What an awesome God. Friends, what grace we've been shown through Jesus Christ. What a master plan God had to see all people united and reconciled back to him. Friends, we were separated from Christ and we were without hope in the world. And maybe for some of us who don't yet know Jesus, this is probably hard to stomach, but the Bible says this is where you are at right now. But here's the good news. You don't need to be. You don't need to be. 
None of us need to be. That's the wonderful good news of the gospel that Paul's encouraging us in right here. We were separated from Christ. We were without hope, but we don't need to be. We don't need to be. Jesus has made the way for all people, for all people to be made right with God and to be made right with one another too. Jesus has made the way for all of us to be welcomed warmly into his family as equal and highly valued, precious children, members of his church. I'm wondering today, friends, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ yet? Are you living free in life, in light of these incredible truths, in light of the fact that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus' sacrifice? Or perhaps do you feel kind of disconnected from God, unable to draw near to him? Whether you're seeking out spiritual truth today or you've been a believer for a long time and for whatever reason, you just kind of feel a little bit disconnected, like it's really hard to draw close and enjoy that kind of intimate connection with God that you really desire, that you want to have, but for whatever reason, you just find it hard. Know this. Know this today. This is true for every person, whether Christian or yet to become a Christian God longs for you to be in deep relationship with him. God longs. He burns with a passion to see people come to be reconciled once again to him through trusting in Jesus Christ and what he has achieved on the cross. He's made the way through Jesus and you can find and experience true freedom in this life by approaching Jesus afresh in faith today. I'm going to close just now by praying that if what I've said just describes you, that you would find for the first time or that you would taste it afresh again by the Holy Spirit this morning, that you would experience that, that freedom and joy and hope that is to be experienced for anyone who would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and experience that reconciliation to God, that ability to be drawn near, to be made close once again with God the Father. And that you would also have that blessing of that, that, that spirit sense, that deep sense in the deepest parts of our being that we are one in Christ. We are one. We have a family. We are connected to one another. We are connected to God because of what Jesus has done. So let, how about we just close in prayer and I'm going to pray that God would make that true for you today. Wherever it is you are, whether you're seeking, whether you've been a Christian for some time, may this be true for you today. Let's pray together. Oh God, I just, I just thank you so much that your heart is always to see people reconciled to you. We thank you, Jesus, for the way that you made the way. Jesus, it's nothing that we could do. It's never what we could do, but it's only what you have already done through which we can find hope and life and freedom and salvation. And so, Jesus, we just again want to declare how truly awesome you are. We are in awe of you. We love you so much. You are such a good and faithful and generous Father. 
And God, we, we pray that even now as people um, have been listening to this, God, we pray for those who are yet to call upon your name and be saved. Lord, we pray today that those seeking spiritual truth would, would look no further, that they would turn to you, Jesus, that they would reach out to you and say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. I, I want to just humble myself now. I choose to trust in what you have done. I want to experience life with you. I want to draw near to God. Help me, Jesus. Please forgive me. If people pray that today, Lord, we know that they will be saved. We know that, they, that you will forgive them and that you will welcome them and reconcile them to yourself and to the Father. So may that be true for people seeking today. And Lord, we also think of, of other Christians who for whatever reason just don't feel so connected as they once did with you, Lord, and, and have, a, have a sense of just needing to experience that afresh, uh, whether that, just that heart revelation and that Holy Spirit presence with them, that sort of thing, Lord. We just pray right now, God, that there would be a beautiful freedom and joy and hope experienced by anyone in that position right now today, that there would be a joy of feeling close to God, that there would be a joy of even knowing in the deepest places of their hearts that they are reconciled to you. They are right with you. They have been adopted into your family. They are important members in your church, not because of anything that they've done, not because of anything that they could ever do, but simply because that they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that it's never about us. It's always about you. The whole, the, whole, the whole theme of Scripture is that it's not about us. It's all about you, God. And so I pray, Jesus, that we would experience greater freedom and your presence in abundance as we continue to just trust our lives to you, Lord, either for the first time today or as Christians who've been Christian for a while continue to position ourselves humbly before you, Lord, that we might celebrate the wonder of being reconciled to you and being made one in Christ Jesus. We pray all of this, Jesus, with just such adoration and joy and wonder at how truly awesome you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.